you're listening to Everywhere is College Park. I'm your host, Enjoy, and thank you for joining us this episode. This episode, we'll be discussing the stark disparities in Black maternal mortality, especially here in Georgia. This week, I had the pleasure of attending the 2018 Georgia Legislative Update and the Impacts of Public Health, an annual event where they discussed the public health-related bills coming down the pipeline in 2018 and 2019. So here's a little bit of what we discussed, and this is governmental affairs consultant Scott Metzwell talking about the current maternal mortality rates in Georgia, and he keeps saying that they're in the bottom 50th, and just listen him to him talk about it. Uh, this next one was uh, actually, uh, the next two were really important to the Department of Public Health, Georgia Department of Public Health, the issues that they were working on and pushing. The designation of perinatal facilities uh, at different levels to signify a hospital's degree of expertise. We'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but Georgia ranks 50th, the worst in the nation for maternal mortality. Women who have babies and subsequently die. It's, it's an embarrassment. Uh, and, and I say that uh, because the Commissioner of Public Health says he goes to national meetings and he says it's an embarrassment that we rank 50 in this area. What they're hoping to do is something like uh, Commissioner O'Deal, O'Neill at the Department of Public Health was very instrumental in setting up the uh, trauma system in the state of Georgia, uh, where you have level one, level two, level three, level four trauma systems. And that is now being copied by other states around the nation. They did such a good job of it. So they're hoping that the same will work with paramedical facilities where they uh, designate you as level one, two, or three based on quality care that you were able to give. Who's on call, who's available, who's in the hospital, those types of things. Uh, and the designation of paramedical facilities for uh, someone who may know they have a problem with pregnancy, uh, their physician may say, I know it's a little further drive for you, but go to this place that has a level one paramedical facility, and when your baby comes, uh, we think you'll be safer there. And they will know that this hospital meets this level of qualification. Uh, so that was another one that passed. You see the third one down, they put $2 million into that so the department can uh, work on some programs that, that remember we talked about being 50th in, in the nation in maternal mortality. That $2 million is uh, there to address that. Well, here's our message. There's 70 counties without an obstetrician in the state of Georgia. Georgia ranks 50 in preventing maternal deaths. Have we mentioned that already today? I intentionally put it in here three times because we're all embarrassed about it, but we are going to work on it fix it. And then Georgia's national ranking in repeat teen pregnancies were born in the nation. So there's lots of things that we can and need to do better. I took the opportunity to ask the lobbyists about the $2 million allotted to the Maternal Mortality Fund and how it would be allocated. And this is his response. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I mean, actually, I was just wondering, because um, you talked about the uh, maternal, maternal mortality um, three times. So I wanted to know um, the $2 million that the uh, state passed with that budget. Do you know how that's being allocated to the maternal mortality? I, I cannot tell you. It will go to the Department of Public Health is where the money will go. And they will develop programs that address the issue. Uh, and, but I, I, I can't articulate with the purpose of the 
So those were just a few highlights. And I actually couldn't find any evidence to support his claim that uh, Georgia was in the bottom 50th. However, the United States isn't doing so well in terms of maternal mortality rates. And we're doing worse than any other. We're doing worse, you know, than some of the more, even less developed nations as far as maternal mortality rates. And black women are actually driving those numbers. So what I did find was overwhelming evidence that black women are three to four times more likely to die from complications due to pregnancy than white women. On top of that, black babies are more likely to be of low birth weight. And I'll get to why that is important in a second. There's just alarming racial differences in maternal mortality rates regardless of income, access to health care, and other chronic diseases. So let's get into what are some of the causes of maternal mortality. So it's either hemorrhage, either pregnancy-induced hypertension, or in other words, uh, preeclampsia, or embolism. So black and non-white women are three times more likely to suffer from hemorrhage than white counterparts. However, there are studies, the studies are unable to explain the differences in the mortality rates. And when I read, the CDC tried to attribute this to a few things. The CDC, with these rates, tried to say that these rates or this data is due to, or these differences are due to the lifestyle and the races in the women. So basically that smoking, drinking, alcohol, um, unsafe, unsafe sex practices, uh, poor nutrition are all the reasons to blame for why there's this racial difference in the maternal mortality rates, right? And in addition, it also said that um, the CDC also mentioned that, or they estimated that half the women who had unintended pregnancies didn't seek prenatal care during the first trimester. So this is what the CDC published in 1999, which for me wasn't that long ago. And if you think about it, it's almost like the CDC is listing off destructive behaviors, self-destructing behaviors, almost like a dog whistle that maternal mortality is the mother's fault because of the way she chooses to live her life. The thing about what they published was there was evidence basically to provide just the contrary, okay? The evidence said that not only were black women were less likely to drink or smoke during their pregnancy, they were actually more likely to eat healthier, number one. And I believe they overestimated the amount of unintended pregnancies. And then it said that some people didn't receive prenatal care in their first trimester. Although the first trimester is important, you have to think about it in terms of timing. How important really is it? The first trimester is 12 to 13 weeks. That's how long a trimester is, about 12 to 13 weeks. So you can't even get a pregnancy, you can't even get a pregnancy test to work if you're anything less than six weeks pregnant. So you have to be at, le at least, well, they might, pregnancy tests may be more developed now, but however, a good one with good results, um, unless you're getting a blood test, if you are doing a urine test, you have to wait at least six weeks for the results to be valid, right? So six weeks to even find out that you're pregnant, that really only leaves you with six more weeks 
to seven, six to seven more weeks to find prenatal care. That's not a lot of time. That's only a month and a half to two months, not even two months, really just a month and a half at the most to be able to find a doctor, get an appointment within that time frame. And you have to think about it. In some areas that there's only one doctor and some areas that aren't even right now, currently in 2018, that do not have an obstetrician in the entire county. Just think about that for a second. I find out I'm pregnant. I have to wait six weeks just to find out that I'm pregnant, just to go to the store to get a random drug test one. Hell, even if it's for a dollar uh, drug test, I mean, pregnancy test from the drugstore, you still have to wait six weeks. Once I find out that I'm pregnant, what if I live in a county where there is no obstetrician? What am I going to do? That's, that's, and then trying to get an appointment within six weeks at some place out of the county, that's, that's not feasible for a lot of people. And I want to say, I'm not even talking about rural areas, even if you live in an urban area where you have access to transportation, just being able to even get the resources to find the doctor. And let's say you do have access to healthcare. That doesn't mean that the doctor is going to be available. How many obstetricians are available? How many gynecologists are available? What's, you know, the scheduling like? What if you get a doctor that you don't like? There's there's a lot that goes into scheduling appointments that I think people are missing the logistics of and they're not talking about clearly the community and, and interpersonal and individual levels of what goes into all of that. If anything, you need to make sure that the you need to make sure that the baby's anatomy, lung function, heart, everything looks good, which is I, I believe is a 20-week appointment, but I do agree there needs to be some form of prenatal care. However, the CDC just published material making it seem like since these women didn't receive care in their first trimester, that is a reason why or at least a an explanation for perhaps why there is a difference in mortality rates in black women. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So again, the evidence provides a different story, right? So black infants are twice more likely than their white counterparts to die. Um, and so a racial disparity that's wider, that was actually wider today than it was in 1850. So 15 years before slavery ended, there were less black babies dying right after birth than there are today in 2018. And think about that, because back in 1850, it was very common for babies to die before their first baby. I mean, before their fair first birthday. It was very common. It happened all the time. Um, it was so common, in fact, that couples didn't really name their kids until their first birthday. Like it was a big celebration to make it past your first birthday. And this was for black and white couples and, and the poorer you were, the worse it was. So it didn't, at the time, it didn't matter what race you were. Like you had a 50-50 chance that your kid may or may not make it. I think your odds were actually not in your favor more than that. You had a, a good chance that your kid wasn't going to make it. So um, your first birthday was a really big deal uh, back then. So just to read some of the statistics from the birth rates, I mean the birth deaths in 1850 for black and white children. So it was actually in 1850 when the 
United States started tracking infant mortality. So in 1850, there were 340 infant deaths per 1,000 or per 1,000 babies, right? Black babies. And for whites, it was 217 per 1,000, right? So this didn't go unnoticed then. Even back then, these were still higher rates and people paid attention to these, um, to these infant mortality rates. And someone most notable, or I guess someone who did make a big stink about it was W.E.B. Du Bois. And he noted this disparity and wrote about it in the Philadelphia Negro, actually. And he was one of the first sociological cases of Black Americans. And he talked about not only maternal mortality, but he talked about infant mortality and how the rates were just surpassing whites um, in just about every category that you can think of. And 2018, much hasn't really changed. And I say that because even 100 years later, things still haven't gotten better. And this has been documented and researchers have kind of varying ideas about what factors could be driving these long-standing racial disparities and death rates, right? And it actually goes a little bit deeper that be- than that because about 31 years ago in 1986, that's when the CDC actually first started tracking um, pregnancy mortalities. So they call it the Pregnancy Mortality Surveillance System. It was implemented in 1986 to track maternal deaths. Um, and since then, the number of reported pregnancy-related deaths nationwide has increased from 7.2 deaths per 100,000 live births in 1987 to 17.8 per 100,000 in 2009 and 2011. So it more than doubled in about 20 years or so. Um, And again, who's driving those numbers, okay? Some of the theories that are out there, there's actually two main theories that researchers and kind of agree on about what could be driving these factors. So the first one is that some believe that overall health and chronic illness among black and white women um, is a driving factor for the disparity. So for instance, rates of obesity, high blood pressure, hypertension, um, and other risk factors for pregnancy are just, just tend to be higher in black women in general, right? So they're saying that because since these pre-exist kind of comorbidities exist already in black women, it just intensifies when they get pregnant. So that's what's contributing to these mortality rates. That's the first theory. The second, which I'm more inclined to believe, is some people kind of point out the difference in socioeconomic status and access to healthcare, education, um, insurance coverage, housing levels, of, and then levels of stress and community health among black and white women. So even including implicit bias, variations in which the ways healthcare is delivered to black women versus white women. That's what I truly believe is the problem. I really believe that it's implicit bias in just the way that healthcare is delivered to black and white women. Someone who is very vocal about the bias and the discrimination and the lack of care 
is New York Times writer Linda Villarosa. And she did a great job kind of conveying this the latter more so, that there is an implicit bias that exists and more so than the former, more so than, no, these are just chronic diseases that pregnancy just tend to exacerbate. So she did a very in-depth article in the New York Times that I'll get to in a second um, because she explains some key terms that are important to kind of know. And I read a transcript of one of her interviews and there are just some things to highlight that so I think people kind of need to know that the experience of living in America as a black woman does something to your body, which in turn kind of causes low birth weight and causes maternal mortality and that causes infant mortality. And then there's that second kind of racism in the healthcare system. And some of it could be unconscious, but it's a bias that is that has existed for a long time and it's just affecting the birth experiences of black women in America. And we can have Serena Williams to, to kind of bring that example to highlight. And again, we've always centered around things like wealth, education, the idea that only poor, less educated women are having negative, negative outcomes with their birth. But no, these are black women of all education levels, number one. Um, clearly, women who have access to the finest health care that man can ever afford and so this isn't about accessibility or income it's about the way that we're being treated when we're in the delivery room not being listened to and again Serena Williams brought all of this to light when she, with her birth story and she talked about the times that she was ignored and she tried to tell the nurses and the doctors about what they should do and nobody listened and it got to a point for her where she could have almost died. And I know that's the story of a few women that I know personally about their blood um, clots and how it's they know their bodies, they knew this is something that could happen, and it just no one listens or believes that their pain is real. So uh, Linda and the New York Times writer brought up a... She didn't make this term up, but I wanted to talk about it in terms of toxic stress and weathering it, what it does to somebody's body, okay? Toxic stress is the result of aggressions that happen to you and insults that happen to you, and these just happen to be race-related. So it can be everything from, I think I'm being treated differently, I think I'm being less, or people think that I'm less intelligent, I think I'm being discriminated against, or, there's just some kind of discrimination going on in my housing or workplace. And those type of things literally have a physical effect on the body. Because every time you get stressed out, you, it flares up your system. Your system fires up and your, and your system continually sleeps, fires up, fires up, goes, goes into defense mode. It's causing inflammation. That inflammation continues to fire up and then it, it can only go for so long and it starts to break down. It will start to break everything down. And weathering is the idea that because of the repeated insults in your system being fired up, the body starts to age prematurely. All of that starts to happen with your organs. 
and everything just starts to go. Think about all of that going on and the stress that childbirth and pregnancy already puts on your body. So all those years of firing up your system and slowly having it break down and then to only have pregnancy exacerbate all of those things. And that's why you see this more in older women, older black women who have babies, especially who have their kids after 35 are really more at risk for complications, having something go wrong with like Serena, whether it's health related or just facing discrimination, whatever it may be. Black women over the age of 35 are more at like or more at risk for experiencing just complications with your body as well. Because again, with the weathering and the toxic stress for that long does something to you. I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Arlene Geronimus, a professor in the Department of Health and Behavior and Health Education at the University of Michigan, Go Blue, School of Public Health. She was the first to link stress and black infant mortality with her theory of weathering. She believed that toxic stress was triggered, uh, was what triggered the premature deterioration of the bodies in African American women. And as a consequence of repeated exposure to a climate of discrimination and insults, the body would just start to weather away. And she said that weathering had a profound effect on the mother's body. She theorized that it could lead to poor pregnancy outcomes and including the death of her infant, all due to constant discrimination. So she first did that study in uh, 1987 and actually she got a lot of flack for it. She almost lost her job. She had colleagues trying to discredit her she received death threats, but she continued on like a soldier. She continued on with her work and lo and behold, people started to catch on. Other studies finally started to catch on that there is something to what she said. It's not just income or anything like this is more than just what we've been talking about. There has to be something here with race and discrimination. It's almost like what Ice Cube said in NWA, you speak a little truth and people start to lose their minds. And that's all that she did. She wanted to speak a little truth and people just lost their minds. But like I said, by the late 1990s, other researchers were trying to chip away at the mysterious black-white maternal mortality racial gap. So she was a trendsetter in a way. In a way, it's almost those badass women who refuse to listen to the rules who kind of do their own thing or the ones who make history. I mean, because the ones who sit quiet and don't do anything, we don't hear about those women. There are also theories in science that some people brought up. Well, were black women just passing along a defect that was affecting their offspring? But Lo and behold, science has refuted that theory too. They've done several, several studies on African immigrants from the Caribbean, from the continent of Africa who came to the United States or, and within one generation started, started experiencing the same effects of black women who have been here in the United States forever versus black women who have lived in Africa or elsewhere 
are from, and in other Caribbean countries their entire lives as well. Again, in the study it says it took just one generation for American black-white disparity to manifest. It also seems that from the moment black people, black women in particular, enter the healthcare system, it's almost like they're mistreated from the moment they step foot into the whole arena. You know, black women have reported having their concerns dismissed or ignored by medical care providers. And so the American healthcare system has a long history of disparate treatment of black women, so whose health struggles had or systemically minimized or dismissed funneling through medical facilities that are less equipped to handle their pregnancies. There are several studies where black women were interviewed or did focus groups or surveyed about their pregnancy care and a current theme was or constant theme that showed up in these studies was the feeling of being devalued and disrespected by their medical providers. A lot of them were constantly blamed for their problems. We can go into countless stories of of women and how they were perceived to be either weed smokers, uneducated, non-compliant, or unworthy, unworthy by a number of medical providers. And sometimes you just know in your bones and you're being discriminated against. So in 2016, a study by researchers at the University of Virginia examined why African-American patients receive inadequate treatment for pain, not only compared to white patients, but also relative to the WHO or the world or the World Health Organization, excuse me, guidelines. So the study found that white medical students and residents often believed in incorrect and sometimes even just falsely fantasized biological fallacies about racial differences in their patients. So for example, many falsely believed that blacks were less sensitive to nerve endings than whites. They believe that blacks, uh, that their blood clots more quickly. Um, they believe that black skin is thicker than white. And these researchers for these, these assumptions weren't individually prejudiced, but deeply ingrained in the unconscious stereotypes of people of color. And sometimes it's just difficult for, for phys physicians to empathize with their patients whose experience is different from their own. So not only do you have the lack of empathy, but you have a whole generation of just and race of medical students who already have these preconceived notions about a particular race, and they carry that out in their practice and the way and that they treat their patients. And it may be unconscious, and some of it may be implicit and biased, but it goes on, and it starts with the medical training that these doctors are receiving in their medical schools. And these are the same medical schools that probably used to experiment on black bodies when they were founded. So their inherent racist practices may still be there. I don't know. I didn't go to medical school. However, we just have to be conscious of what it is that we're teaching these next generation of professional students. And... If we don't understand the racial bias and consciousness going on in our teachings, we're going to continue these patterns and continue and continue and continue them. And we're not going to see these rates go down until we address where the training starts. The good news is that 
all hope is not lost because what organizations are trying to do is match low-income women or women who just in need and in getting a doula and doulas have been shown to really drastically improve not only mortality rates in other countries i mean maternal mortality rates but infant mortality rates and so there have been several programs implemented in different spots in the united states in areas of the most need where doulas um, have been matched with um, families or women in need and these programs have been working they haven't seen one death not one maternal death and i think one county has only seen one infant death but these models have been working in underserved and underprivileged areas in some countries in africa um, i believe in the sudan and others and others but they are bringing these models to the united states and they are coming and there are programs a lot of doulas are available for free or at a sliding scale so that is available since this episode is talking about maternal mortality and infant mortality i did want to honor mary turner it is a hundred years since the death of her and her infant baby she died on may 19 1918 she died in georgia via a lynching she was eight months pregnant what happened was her husband was falsely accused of a crime he was at the wrong place at the wrong time and because he was black he was guilty they found her husband killed him when she tried to raise all hell about it the white mob thought they would teach her a lesson so they found her her big old belly eight months pregnant and what I'm going to say what they did to her is something that you cannot unhear it is gruesome but we must acknowledge the violence that has gone on in this country and what continues to go on and I will not censor what was done to her because we must remember when they got a hold of Mary they hung her upside down by her ankles they covered her clothes with gasoline and burned them from her body. Then, with using a hunting knife, they cut the unborn baby out of her womb. And upon hitting the ground, the baby was killed. But the mob was not satisfied. They started stomping the baby. And then they shot bullets the body of Mary Turner. In their mind, they thought they were teaching her a lesson. And even despite the amount of witnesses and a full investigation and full investigation done by the state, the governor at the time, Hugh Dorsey, declined to charge anybody. So no one was ever charged. I say all of this to say that even extreme cases like Mary Turner are extreme. They, they happened often. They were not isolated. This was a pregnant woman who died and her baby died because of the violence, white terrorism, white privilege. Can you imagine? Even if she wasn't black, who deserves that? And nobody, nobody, was ever held accountable. However, even though it saddens me that something like that could happen to anyone, I do know 
that karma is real. I do know that what you do to others will come back to you three times, tenfold. So all of that energy that they put into killing that woman in the way in gruesome manner that they did, we don't know what happened. We know that they didn't get off for the crime that they committed, but the laws of the universe didn't forget. We don't know what happened to those men in the rest of their lives. The universe knows, they know, we'll never know, but notice how we don't remember their names. We remember Mary Turner and her and her and her unborn son and her unborn baby. A hundred years later, we're still saying her name. We are still saying Mary Turner. My daughter and my children will know about Mary Turner. But will they not know about not one person who was there? And I guarantee you that the law of the universe took care of the people who did that to their daughter. I am sure of that. And with that, to end on a good note, I hope you check out Everywhere is College Park. If you have any questions, please send me an email. And again, this is your host, Enjoy. And with that, we will close out and be sure to listen to our episodes here on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. And this is Enjoy, and I'm out. Everywhere is College Park.